Have you ever heard of sustainable intensification? It's an idea supported by a veteran ag entrepreneur who shares that it's key to agriculture meeting the challenges of the future. Welcome to Around Farm Progress, a podcast that looks at agriculture issues across the country. I'm Willie Vogt, your host and editorial director for Farm Progress. Farming is facing a critical challenge in the next three decades. The global food production industry must produce as much food in the next 30 years as has been produced in the past 10,000, while being more sustainable. It's a massive challenge, but Rob Sake says farmers can make it happen. Sake is a veteran agriculture entrepreneur who has started tech firms and managed others. He's an energetic, passionate speaker who recently shared his ideas with farmers at the Farm Futures Summit. Farming since he was 14, he's turned his love for agriculture into a series of businesses and while that work continues, he's on another mission. He's working to share the story of how agriculture technology will help meet those challenges. His book, Food 5.0, How We Feed the Future, offers solutions. This is a wide-ranging conversation that looks at the global food picture. Some insights he shares may surprise the listener. There are global forces at work that may hinder modern ag. But in the end, Sake is confident that global agriculture is up to the tasks ahead. Rob Sake, welcome to Around Farm Progress. Thanks for joining me. Thanks, Willie. Good to be here. Yeah. So you're here at the Farm Future Summit. What, what message do you really want to bring when you're talking to farmers, when you get a chance to talk to a bunch of forward-thinking growers? Well, I, I think uh, a couple of things. One is that uh, we we need to figure out a way to create a bridge with consumers. So we need to have that conversation. And consumers need to understand that agri- agriculture is not ideologically driven, but rather needs to be pragmatic because agriculture is nuanced. And so ideological solutions just don't cut it. And so that's what I'm trying to get people to understand is the pragmatism of agriculture. So how do you define that for the consumer that doesn't even know where their food comes from? Okay, so let's uh, let's have a conversation. So yeah. whether you're with mm-hmm. a paleo or a vegan or a pescatarian or a vegetarian and all the other religions, there's one thing everybody can agree on. So long as we have human beings on the planet, Willie, agriculture must be infinitely sustainable, right? Correct. Absolutely. So everybody agrees on. So what makes agriculture sustainable? Well, soil health and water, greenhouse gas balance, they forget about farm viability and they forget the farmers actually love their land. But really where I'm going is that to feed the planet, we've already passed peak land, but to feed the planet, we have to do something called sustainable intensification. Let me repeat that. Yeah. Sustainable intensification. And that means that we need to adopt the technologies that work at farm level to reduce, so produce, reduce, protect and restore faster than we've ever done before. So we've got to reduce our environmental footprint. Mm -hmm. To do that, we need to adopt technology quicker, and that's what I'm focused on. So when you talk about adopting technology, you're talking about all levels too, right? We're not just talking about something with a chip in it. We're talking about genetic uh, editing. We're talking about better crop protection products, biologicals. It's the whole spectrum of things, right? Yeah, that's that's the whole thing. When you consider... 
agriculture and the solutions that would allow us to reduce our environmental footprint, mm-hmm. we have to we have to think about integrating genetics. We have to think about the mechanical side. What role does robotics play? All that sort of thing. What role uh, does remote sensing play? What role does data management play? All of these things are grouped together and are hitting the farmers very, very quick today. Well, and some feel like they're overwhelmed by it. It's it's like a tidal wave of data that they're, they, they've got to make decisions off of. So on the farmer side, they need more help understanding how they can deploy that data. Uh, I mean, that's my experience when they talk about it. The ones that do it really well are able to dig right in and figure out the data points that they need to use to make better decisions on their operations. Are we finding that that's easier to get that message across? Because a lot of farmers aren't even engaging data. No, I think it's actually harder. Okay. I think the more technology that we get at farm level, the more data that starts to puke out at a farmer, the more the harder it is for them to sift out and make decisions. So as I'm scanning the, uh, the environment, I'm more and more interested in technology that can provide farmers with alert alerts. Yeah. So you get up in the morning, you got 70 fields. Where the hell do you go to first? Or how do we eliminate the human being from entering in the data at all? As-applied data, Willie, is really hard to get, right? So can the machine punch the as-applied data into the data systems without, without encumbering the human being? Uh, we're... We're going through, I think, a, uh, an evolution where this data is going to grow so fast that sooner or later farmers are going to get comfortable with a word called algorithms, right. basically that start to synthesize the data to give the farmer not a bunch of data puke, but rather insights and alerts. That's really where we need to get to. I'm starting to see some of that. There are some deployed technologies that tell me only look at this field or only look at that field. That's exciting. It's just... It just takes a lot of artificial intelligence and those algorithms you're talking about to bring all that data in to make sense of it, right? Well, right. I mean, Intelinair, for example, is working on that, and they'll provide you alerts in the morning based on uh, aerial or satellite imagery of hundreds of fields. But uh, advancing that even further, it's really where the machine makes the the decision. Mm -hmm. So uh, Yara has a technology right now called Augmenta that will look at the field and will adjust the nitrogen rates in real time. John Deere Sea & Spray, John Deere Exact Shot. These kind of things that are happening that make the decision uh, by themselves right? and just allow a farmer to execute faster. I think we're going to see more of that. Well, I think, and there's a lot of investment going into that area. And you make make a point. I mean, this is a kind of a thing to put into perspective for people. In the next 28 years to get to 2050, we have to produce as much as we produce in the last 10,000 years to feed feed the 10 billion people, right? Yeah, we've got increased agricultural production, 60 to 70% in all areas of the world. This puts particular pressure on exporting nations like right. mm-hmm. the United States, like Canada, Brazil, and Argentina. But it's not just really about producing calories. We also have to produce more nutrition. People mm-hmm. are asking for higher nutrient-dense foods. I believe that's a good thing. I don't think right. that's a bad thing. Now, the question is, can a farmer get paid for it? That's another entire you know, ball of wax. Right. But that's, that's where I'm going, is I'm saying that if a farmer is practicing agriculture in an environmentally sustainable, whatever the hell it right, means, right. manner, and he's uh, sequestering more carbon and reducing nitrous oxide emissions and growing a crop that's higher in zinc, where's the money? Right. Well, that all has to be part of the equation. Yep. How do you see the smallholder farm, the African farmer, the, the farmer in those nations, which have actually pretty 
could have rich soil and have the opportunity to bring new productivity into the system. Do they have a role in any of this? Oh, for sure. Um, I have uh, I have a stake in a farming operation in Uganda. I've done work in Kenya and Nigeria. And the thing that uh, really uh, insults them is don't bring me a stick. Bring me, bring me the technology, but bring me the technology scaled down so I can use it right. on my smaller farm. Don't forget that those people leapt they, they leaped past us. They, they didn't have copper wires. They didn't go with ADSL uh, right. lines. They went straight to cellular, and they went straight to wireless transactions using M-Pasa. Mm-hmm. So we're using wireless Apple Pay now. Well, they've been doing it for a decade, yeah, maybe longer. It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, I know that I just had a conversation with Cargill. They've got a program called Digital Safi they're using in India to do that very thing. Everything, every farm decision, every algorithm is on a smartphone, and they all have smartphones. Well, and, and so... The company yeah. I'm building yeah. right now, AgVisor Pro, yeah. AgVisor Pro is about connecting those seeking advice with experts that they don't even know right. who can solve the problem and increase their confidence. But how do you find them? You do not find them on Twitter. You do not find them on Facebook. We need a dedicated platform, professional platform right. for agriculture that's unbiased and agnostic. And that's what I'm building. But the power resides in the smartphone in the farmer's hands. So we, we just need to leverage that more. Yeah, I think somebody called that service an, an Uber for ag technologists or something like that. <laughs> yeah, Because like, right. you, you, yeah. basically you're paid on a transaction basis. I need a question answered. I reach an expert. They give me, and then there's maybe a small transaction fee, and I get my question answered. Right. So uh, I say that AgVisor Pro is a combination of eHarmony. Yeah. So a matching algorithm, matching the question, yeah. the seeker's question right. with with experts and Uber and FaceTime. So all the connectivity is in the platform nice. and Twitter. So you come back because you're curious about what the follow-up answers are to your question. This is all built right now. All built. Looks it looks elegant, and I think that that's something that. Global farmers, I mean, even a farmer in central Indiana that maybe just have a 500 acres and he's just starting out could seek expert advice. Oh, for on this sure. And, and a lot of times, don't forget, even seasoned operators yeah. are um, want to have maybe a second or third opinion. All the questions are anonymous, but we know that the question came from Coralville, Iowa. Right. We know where it came from, but the questions are anonymous. So nobody needs to be embarrassed. But all of the responders are visible. So, okay. so we yeah. get rid of the trash. I, I am so tired of getting flamed out on Twitter. So right. we're trying to build a respectful, professional platform. Well, hopefully that'll work out for you. Right. As you, But it, you made that good comment. No copper. All these towers. I mean, I've been to some developing mm-hmm. countries where they have excellent connectivity, better than we have in some parts of Iowa in some yeah. cases. How do we bring the connectivity up in the United States? Oh, this is the biggest uh, problem. I mean, when people talk, I, I always say the slide is uh, you can't have a smart farm with a stupid Internet. And, That's right. and, and so can you imagine uh, businesses uh, running in uh, Des Moines that are $5 million, $3 million businesses without the Internet? Well, it would be yeah. preposterous. Yeah. Lots of farms are that big with really lousy broadband coverage. And this, uh, uh, this is no different than bridges and roads and infrastructure that's needed to power America. We need to have the kind of broadband coverage to power. People say we want more people to stay in rural communities. Well, make sure there's freaking broadband out there so the farming operations can run. Well, it's a quality of life thing, too. If I want to stream a movie, I don't want to have, you know, in my off hours, I'm in a small town. I need to be able to do that. Sounds like a stupid thing, but it's how you keep people 
in the rural community. Exactly. Yeah, and that and that technology will accelerate the GDP in yeah. those smaller areas. I with AgVisor Pro, uh, I've only met my staff once in the last three years. Wow. Only met them once. And they're scattered throughout India, Bangladesh, uh, uh, Peru, Brazil, nice. and they're totally remote. Uh, and and in every one of those uh, areas, I'm increasing the GDP because I pay those people, and those people invest that money in their local economy. This is quite the interesting thing. Well, that's the other interesting thing. I think some people look at the smallholder farm, which still has, a, I think, mm-hmm. a lot of potential, but that like it's a charity thing or a handout thing, and it's not that. No. They're a business. They want to buy inputs. They want to grow their farms, but they don't always have the agronomic knowledge to make that choice, right? Well, when you think about that, that goes back kind of the 50s and 60s when far 70s, 80s, farmers had two echo chambers. One would be their buddies or the bar right, or the right. coffee shop. Yeah, yeah. The second one was people selling them fertilizer, chemical, and seed. Well, the, welcome to being a small landholder. You, you only get your advice from people selling you fertilizer, chemical, seed, equipment, etc. Right. Uh, how do you break outside of that and go go wider and get 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 information from somebody who has deep domain knowledge in in plant physiology or entomology? Where do you how do you find them? Well, I can find them quickly using Agvisor Pro and and they're not trying to sell you anything. It's just it's a way to shrink time and space and bring knowledge straight to farms in a brand new way. Well, you were a veteran entrepreneur in agriculture. How the heck did you get started doing this? Well, I started when I was 14 years old. Wow. I started farming when I was 14. And uh, at the age of, uh, I think, 26, by the time I was 30, I had two retail fertilizer companies that I built from okay. scratch and exited those and uh, started all kinds of companies like a media relations company and um, I was involved with my daughter for a while in a makeup company, and and then I've been I built lots of agricultural companies. Yeah. So that part of just being, you know, you say you've invested. That's a it's a risk taking. You mm. have a risk taking bent to you, don't you? Yeah, I do. I mean, I I uh, at my age, uh, after having uh, exist to Trimble and Raven and participating right, right. like that, people say, "Why don't you just retire, Rob? Why don't you retire?" Well, a you haven't seen my golf game, and b <laughs> and, and, and b. My, my brain does not shut down. So there are problems that need to be solved. And I believe that somebody is going to create the most credible, independent, unbiased agricultural ecosystem on the planet Earth. Somebody's going to do that. And you want it to be you. Why not? <laughs> That's Why interesting. Not? So what do you see as the challenge of connecting to the consumer, especially the U.S. consumer? Well, actually, we have a problem. A good example is what's going on. In, uh, in Europe now, this mm-hmm. buying out farmers to stop farming, to lower the carbon footprint of some country. Yep. I mean, how do we get past that? These people aren't going to have food. Well, uh, the interesting thing is if you roll that thing forward, this is shades of Sri Lanka. So in Sri Lanka, oh, in the right. summer of 21, the president of Sri Lanka, you, I could unbundle this onion, but it goes back to... Uh, uh, goes back to a nitrogen reduction strategy, but in the summer of 21, he banned all fertilizer and chemical, com- synthetic fertilizer and right. chemical coming into the country. I predicted the downfall of Sri Lanka then because without that, tea exports fall, rice exports fall, their balance of trade goes sideways, and they have riots in the streets, line up for petroleum, food consumption or food inflation is 20 to 30% per month in Sri Lanka, Ouch. and the EU policy of farm to fork 
which again is 50% reduction in nitrous uh, fertilizer emissions, 50% reduction in pesticides, 50% reduction in antimicrobial in animals, and 25% of the land will be organic in the United States, in, in, in the EU by 2050 or by 2030. But what is the repercussions of that ideological political decision? Right. Nobody. Secretary of Vilsack of the United States, actually, the United States government put out a consequence report on this and said the results of this is disastrous. So where's their food going to come from? So they say you can't use GMOs, you can't use chemical in the EU, but we need to eat. So we'll just get it from the most biological sensitive area in the world. We'll import it from Brazil and then we'll give Brazil heck for what they're doing. You don't win on that score, but no. the politics of this are. Does some of that come from just a lack of understanding of even how this all works? Because it seems like the the mechanics. Because we're having some of these kinds of conversations in the United States as well. Oh, well, I I, I listened for three days. Uh, I was uh, a private citizen invited to speak to the United Nations and the FAO. So I was up really early in the con- the conference was from Rome, and for three days I listened to people spout. Uh, ideological solutions for agriculture. Nobody was talking about the practical implications of the decisions. Right. Like the number one food waster in the world is not restaurant scrapings. The number one food waster in the world is mycotoxins. Yep. It destroys crops in the fields and in storage. Nobody mentioned it in three days. This is the United Nations FAO. I mean, this is where we have the problem. And that's the next book I'm going to write, which is going to be called Pragmatic which is feeding the world through sustainable intensification. Well, I think sustainable intensification is a good... good I've heard that term before. It, it makes perfect sense because we're bringing a lot of great technology. I mean, I think of just the ability of maybe gene editing to stop the mycotoxin problem in peanuts and grains. I mean, that concept alone could be amazing. Well, I'll, I'm about to say something that'll rile part of your listening audience, but to travel internationally during COVID, I had to roll up my sleeve and I had to take... Uh, a vaccination right the vaccination was messenger rna technology absolutely and there is uh, fusarium uh there's a colorado potato beetle there's a corn root bore there's all kinds of messenger rna technology waiting on the sidelines so people say good enough for me to roll up my sleeves and take a jab and get that in my body but not good enough for agriculture to use come on why the hypocrisy here and that's what we're facing when it comes to the uh, dialogue between uh, politicians and consumers and the 1.2% of those actually on the farm growing the food. We're in trouble here. Yeah. Is climate smart farming going to help or hurt? Climate smart farming makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, yeah. the the nuts and bolts of this is for every 1% of organic matter increase in a slice of soil, that's the equivalent of 20 metric tons of carbon dioxide in the soil. So, um, that's called sequestration. Can we prove it? Can we monetize it? Regardless, uh, that's a move in the right direction. Uh, does it make sense for us to reduce nitrous oxide emissions from fertilizer? Absolutely. Absolutely. We don't want to waste our nitrogen fertilizer. The, the rub that I have, uh, Willie, is if people don't take into, if, if politicians don't take into account 
uh, GPS guidance. Don't take into account sectional shutoff. Don't take into account nitrogen stabilizer. Don't take into account variable rate. Don't take into account remote sensing. Don't take into account <laughs> soil testing, all the things that we're doing. If they don't take that into account, we just heard a farmer here say he's been cover cropping for 20 years, but he won't get any credit for it Nope, because he's a pioneer. In Saskatchewan, in Canada, those guys have been no-tilling for 30, 40 years. Do you think they can get any credit for it? Nope. Uh, so we we penalize those that are the leaders in conservation farming and applaud those guys that are late to the scene and say, oh, I just woke up and I learned about zero tillage and I learned how to take a soil test. It's preposterous. Yeah, it is amazing how that's changing the way we look at things. And it'll be fun to see how this fun, I guess, is the wrong word. It'll be interesting to see how it comes about as we move down this path. This farm to fork in Europe is a little scary. At least climate smart farming offers some opportunities in the U.S. And I think somebody made the point that um, the other side of this is that as we go forward on these things, maybe looking at practices rather than, you know, like, the way I apply nitrogen could be a reward. Those kinds of things are ways to look at some of this. Well, exactly. I mean, if all of the carbon credits are based on removal or sequestration, you're going to have a problem because it's hard to measure. But reduction is easy. Yeah. I can prove to you that I put nitrogen stabilizers in my in my blend. That's easy to do. I can prove to you that I bought sectional shutoff. So there's ways to skin this cat. We just have to be creative, and we have to be able to have good, open, and thoughtful communication with those people b- building the rules. Great. Yeah. Well, Rob's sake, thanks for your time. I appreciate you being here with me at Around Farm Progress. Hey, thanks, Willie. It's awesome. I'm glad to be here with everybody. Not sure that I've covered as many topics in one conversation as Rob and I did during this talk. Sometimes it's easy to look at the opponents of what we do and see only bad. But agriculture is advancing, and sustainable intensification is the answer for farmers deploying new tools to be even better stewards. Thanks to Rob Sate for his insights in this episode. If you want to learn more, look up his book, Food 5.0, How We Feed the Future, on Amazon. This was an interesting conversation, and if you don't want to miss what we're talking about here at Around Farm Progress, simply subscribe to this podcast on your favorite platform, Apple, Spotify, Amazon, and more. And if you have a smart speaker, all you have to do is tell it to listen to Around Farm Progress, and you're going to hear the latest episode. Farm Progress is the nation's leading agriculture information source, with 17 state and regional brands, as well as farm futures, beef, national hog farmer, and feedstuffs, and our events, including the Farm Progress Show, Husker Harvest Days, the Farm Futures Summit, and the upcoming New York Farm Show. Join us next week as we continue our agriculture journey around the country. I'm Willie Vogt, Editorial Director at Farm Progress. Thanks for listening.